just these uh, words which uh, Jesus spoke in his Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. He said, but you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. <clears throat> you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light or a lamp under a bushel. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. <clears throat> when I was uh, preparing these words, my uh, mind went very much back to what this world must have been like after creation. No sin, no pain, no suffering, everything glorious and wonderfully beautiful. We can only imagine it in our minds of how wonderful it was and, of course, how wonderful it will be when Lord's, Lord's kingdom finally comes and such things will be restored. But, of course, there came a time when sin entered this world. And when sin entered this world, everything was spoiled. So much so that we often refer to the state of the world as darkness. And what we must realise, and it's been mentioned many times here before, that we are living in a very dark world. I don't mean about the physical light, but the darkness that is all around us and within us. And even in our own nation, which once claimed to be a Christian nation, <coughs> Darkness prevails in enormity. John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. God in his infinite mercy and love left those glories of heaven and came willingly into this world to dwell amongst us. For a very brief spell, but he came in the form of Jesus, God made flesh, dwelling amongst us and bringing the light of the gospel. And of course, you've got to remember that Jesus' ministry on earth was a very, very brief one. His actual ministry is usually about, uh, uh, taken to be somewhere around about three and a half years. We, have a little, we know about his birth, we know a little bit about his childhood, but very little about the rest of his life. What we do know through the Gospels and the Bible, of his teaching and so on, that his actual ministry had a very brief spell. But of course, as we have celebrated and commemorated this morning, Jesus died upon the cross. And he rose again from the dead. And he ascended to the Father and now sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. You just take note of that last bit, you know. It's wonderful to realise at this very moment 
Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father and is praying for every one of us. It's a wonderful thought, isn't it? But he never stops doing that. He sits at the right hand of the Father, back in glory, but he hasn't forgotten his children. And he prays for us. God became flesh, dwelt amongst us, he brought light. One of the things that frustrated me for quite some time, and still does to a certain certain, uh, degree, is the fact that I hear many people question God about the state of the world. Why does God allow this? Why does God do this? Why does God do the other? You know, it's suggesting, you know, that God creates wars. He doesn't. God doesn't create wars. Man does, through sylphanus. I preached, I think it was here, must be a few years ago now, on the question why. <clears throat> because I was so frustrated hearing people say this over and over again, especially Christians who say the same thing. Why does God allow this? So forth. As Christians, we should know a little bit more and understand a little bit more about God and the world. And if I were to say to you this morning, is there any good in the world? There is. Do you remember Len here, was it last week, when he told of his experience at the airport and a taxi driver? And the kindness he, he gave to There's a lot of good in the world. I remember being with my uh, son-in-law in Sheringham one day, and we, he, <coughs> when we're about places like that, I'm in a wheelchair, unfortunately, and my poor grandson, he has to push me, great <laughs> son-in-law has to push me around. But uh, he was doing this, and across the road, the road was very busy that morning, across the road, there was an old lady, and she was loaded with shopping bags. And she got one in her hand, and the other, she made a step onto the road, and then had to step back again, forward and back again. And suddenly there was a man got up, he looked like a rough sleeper, because he's got all these bags and everything's there. He went over to this lady, he took all her bags, one in each hand, he asked her to put his, her arm through his, and he very carefully led her across the road. My son-in-law said to me, he says, you know, there's a lot of good in the world. And there are. It's not confined to Christians. There's a lot of good in the world. And I, I wonder if I were to say to you, do you believe that? I'm sure you do. But I'd also ask you this. Do you believe that there's evil in the world? I'm sure you agree that there is a terrible amount of evil in this world. In fact, this whole world is corrupt. And sad to say that this nation of ours is seriously corrupt. I mean, just looking through my lifetime when I was a child to today, and I, and I see the changes that have taken place over those generations. The world was different then, mind you. My parents would have said when they were children, the world was different then, and you could go back and back and back. But there's always been problems, there's always been evil, there's always been good. It's in the world, and the world ticks by, ticks by. But darkness, evil, you know, it penetrates all society. You think about it just for a moment. In education today, which is something, you know, we treasure, our 
teaching for children and so forth through the... Is there corruptness in education? Of course there is. You only got to turn the pages of your news sometimes and just see the corruption that takes place. Child molesting and so forth. What about health? NHS? Well, that's got to be good. That can't be touched by corruption, can it? <laughs> Sad to say. I've mentioned this before, but fancy going to your doctor and find it's Dr. Shipman. How can a doctor who trusts infinitely for your health murder an unknown quantity of people? Some suggest it's 200 and even more. Nobody ever knows. But how can that happen? How can a young nurse murder babies in a hospital? And you can go on and you can go on. It's in the NHS as well. It's in health. Corruption is there. It was born out of good, but corruption penetrates every phase of society. In the world of business, it's all cutthroat business now more than ever. To put one person down, to step on them, to crawl up yourself up the ladder. Business is corrupt. What about police? Well, you trust the police, can't you? Even if one occasionally murders a, a young woman or commits adultery. I mean, it's astonishing the number of reports that have come into our newspapers of corruption within the police force. Who you corrupt? Who you trust and so forth. But of course, one bright shining is light is politics. There's no corruption there, is there? <laughs> Do you trust your politician? Do you trust politics today? Corruption is there as well. And we could go on and on and on and on. But the great thing is this, that in John chapter 1, I'll just turn it up. <clears throat> John chapter 1 and those early verses about light, etc. <clears throat> it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. We've got, it depends what version of the Bible you read, it can, it sometimes says it can't comprehend it, it can't overcome it. And the truth is that darkness cannot overcome light. Not the true light. If you, if you go home in the evenings, one of the first things you do when you open the door is to flick the switch. And while one moment they might be in pitch darkness, the minute you touch that switch down, light. Darkness is vanquished, and light. Light is always stronger than darkness. And I suppose that's where we come to the point where God says, you know, that we are the light of the world. He is the light of the world, but we are also the light of the world. Why? because Jesus' ministry on earth was a brief one. He came and he brought light into this world. 
He brought the gospel. He brought everything that we need to know now. But you see, his time here was preparatory, very, very short. He went back to glory. But he left his disciples with the task of maintaining and teaching the things that he had brought. We are the ambassadors of Christ. You and I, as Christians, we are the light which Christ brought into this world. It's an amazing thing to realise that, but he gave to us a great responsibility to shine in this dark, dark world in which we are living today. Very difficult as well, isn't it, to overcome the society we live in and, and try to proclaim the light, to get people to see the light, the light, the light, rather than the darkness. But he said to his disciples and those around him that were listening to the Beatitudes on that morning, you know, you are the light of the world. And, you know, you don't hide a light under a bowl. And neither do you, if you put, if you're on a hillside, you don't cover it up, you let it shine, the light. And therefore, if the responsibility is that the light has been put into our heart, has to be maintained and shined around the world in which we live. We're outnumbered, you know that, don't you? We're outnumbered. But we have more power, the quality, than the quantity. We have the quality of Christ within our lives. While we dwell in him and he in us, then we are to shine the light out into the dark world. I come now to this second bit, you know, the salt of the earth. <laughs> Have you ever heard that expression? You know, somebody do somebody a kindness and they say, well, he, he or she is the salt of the earth. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, expressions used today which come from the Bible, and that's one of them. The salt of the earth, he or she is. Well, when Jesus spoke these words, <coughs> it wasn't a compliment. <coughs> And it was given as a statement. It was a challenge. You are the salt of the earth. We have the word of God within us. And that word of God is something that needs to be preserved. Now, one of the great things about salt isn't that you just sprinkle it on your dinner. The great thing about salt is it's a preservative. Before we had fridges and freezers, etc., food had to be preserved. And people who went on expeditions, etc., like Scott Shackleton, people like that, they took meat with them. But it was absolutely rubbed and soaked in salt. How do they ate it? I don't quite know, but uh, it was soaked in salt. The reason is to preserve it. To preserve it. Have you ever wondered why the church? exists today and continues to grow. Because, you know, the church has suffered persecution from day one. Nations, emperors, kings, all kinds of authorities have tried to put out the wick, the light of the church. They have tried to bury it, destroy it, get rid of it so we don't need it. And it's still happening today. 
you know, and there's technology world we, we live in today. I read not long ago in a, a letter in the newspaper where someone was saying, well, what do we need God for now? What do we need a God? We, we can look what we can do today with technology. Why do we need God? That's terrible, isn't it, when you think about it? God has far, has far more technology in his little finger than the world has. But we are to continue to give the gospel in a way which preserves, preserves it, preserves the church, the church grows. That's what fellowship is about. You know, we, we call each other just sometimes self-consciously, you know, brother and sister. But there's, there's a deep meaning to that because in real truth, we are all brothers and sisters in a family. A family, a wide world family. But we are brothers and sisters. And it maintains itself throughout all generations. It's still, people say, well, how much longer can the church prevail? The church will continue to prevail throughout eternity. Because those who belong to the church are the salt of the earth. We have the gospel. We have the truth. We have the possibility of shining light out into this world. We are the salt of the earth. We, it's not a compliment we even pay to ourselves. It's what God says we are. The salt of the earth. Because we carry the truth of the gospel with us. You know, evangelism is much more than just preaching. Evangelism is about living. I went in my younger days to Cliff College. Now, if you'd have lived in the 60s, and that sort of time, you'd have known all about Cliff College because Cliff College was the, one of the main uh, theological colleges in this country. But it wasn't just a theological co college, it was a, a college for evangelism. And uh, I spent a couple of years there, and uh, at the end of the time, you were all sent out in groups of eight to ten, something like that, to conduct missions. All the, there was about 70 or 80 students in the year, I was, years I was there, and we were divided up into groups, and we were sent to all parts of the British Isles, some as far as the Hebrides and Shetlands and way down south, Island White and so forth, places like that, to minister. I'll tell you what, it was the most glorious holiday I ever had in my life. <laughs> I was sent to Bridlington, in Scarborough, uh, in a team of, I think we're nine in our team. <coughs> and, you know, we went for seven, seven weeks at the end of our school, seven weeks at Bridlington and Scarborough, and I think I'm right in saying I don't remember seeing a drop of rain in the whole time. We were conducting beach missions, and uh, <coughs> doing all manner of things like that. We had on a Sunday night a wonderful rally. If you know Bridlington at all, or, and I've been donkeys for years, it's a bit like a, a, a terrace because you've got a top promenade and then a second one and then a third one. So we used to be ministering on the beach and people would, didn't have to come too near, which they never want to do, but they could stand back and, and watch. And we used to see these promenades packed with people on a Sunday night and uh, in the ministry. But we had one problem. We had a young lad, who's a local lad, um, of quite strict brethren stock, I think he was. He came to join us, 
And when he came to join us, we welcomed him and said, yes, you know, we're happy, so happy with us. But when he appeared, he came with a big black tie, right down like that. And in white letters, big bold white letters, it went, repent, repent. Yet that was a problem for us, because we frightened people away. As soon as he approached them, they, they disappeared. And he wanted to be on the platform with us. And, he wanted, and we didn't want to hurt the boy's feelings, but we had to engineer ways of keeping him in the dark. <laughs> and you can't imagine how difficult that was. No, it's not... A, when we preach the gospel, it's got to be acceptable to people, not to frighten people away. But the gospel, as we preach, like the salt, it's got to be accepted. People want to hear it, and so forth. And a lot of that is not by what we say, but the way we live. The way we live. And we are to not just preach the gospel, but we are to live out the gospel for us to be the salt of the earth. Just want to turn your attention to a little passage of scripture perhaps you don't often read, I don't know. Do you often read the book of Titus? It's a, it's a wonderful little book. <coughs> now Titus was a, <coughs> a convert of Paul and uh, Paul sent him to the Isle of Crete, Greek Island of Crete, to establish a church there. <coughs> And uh, it was no easy task in those days to do that. But what it, Paul does, he spends ages, well, this whole letter is about that, teaching Titus how to do the job and what to teach the people. And I just want, if you just be patient with me, just to read the second part of the second, or maybe all the second church. <coughs> Chapter 2. You must teach what is in accord with the sound doctrine... Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, and love and endurance. Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not as slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed, because they have nothing bad to say about you. And this is the interesting point. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them and not talk back to them. And not to steal from them, but to show they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Now, I think in the authorised version, that last line finishes something like this so that in every way they may adorn the gospel. To adorn the gospel. What does it mean to adorn something? Well, really, I suppose it's put there to make attractive. You see, 
I, if I look around and I see ladies with their dresses and their coats, etc., I find most of you wear brooches or a necklace or something like that. Why do you do that? Well, the, the coat or the dress, whatever it might be attractive, be good, but you put something to make it more attractive, you know, to adorn it, to do that. And that is the task which Paul was saying to Titus, I want you to teach people in such a way that they will adorn, make attractive the gospel. Now you might say, well, the gospel is attractive in itself. Well, it is to you and me, but not to the world. It's not attractive to the world. And we are to live our lives in such a way that we make the gospel attractive to people. He talks about slaves there. Well, of course, in those days, having slaves was just common. It, you know, most people with any position or money or anything had slaves. It was accepted. But, of course, they were good slaves, bad slaves. They were good owners and bad owners. But he tells them how to live for one particular reason, because many slaves became Christians. You know, live your life as slaves so that you may adorn the gospel. In many respects, we are not slaves, we're set free, but we are servants of God. And as we live our life, we are to live it in such a way that we <coughs> adorn the gospel for people, so that people will listen to us and talk to us. Remember hearing one story about Charles Wesley, sorry, John Wesley. I think it was in Bristol where he was, but he, he was on his travels, like he did preaching the gospel, and a drunkard came rolling up towards him, grabbed hold of the reins of his horse, and shouted up to Wesley, Mr. Wesley, I am one of your converts. And Wesley looked down to him and he said, My man, that is true. You're certainly not one of God's. <laughs> you see, it isn't isn't sort of the matter of fact of the fact that when we go out to preach, we are trying to make people Christians. Our job is to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit converts people. The Holy Spirit changes their lives. We can talk to them, and we should talk to them the rest of our but we should never believe that we have to convert people, because if they are, they don't last. We are to present the gospel in such a way that people will receive it, and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in their lives. So God, in his infinite wisdom, has called us, amongst many other things, to be two things, and that is to be the light of the world, so that we can shine out in the darkness, and we can be the salt of the earth, so that we can preserve and extend the kingdom of God.